Pastors Larry and Tiz Huck welcome you to this weekly Torah study from New Beginnings Church in Bedford, Texas, taught by Pastor Scott Sigmund. We pray this message will help you better understand how God's Old Testament wisdom and New Testament revelation are meant to jointly fit together. Torah portion today is 21. Key Tessa is Elijah and the prophets of Baal. It's in Exodus 30, verse 11 through 34 and 35. And I started studying this, and God just kept leading me to focus more on the golden calf. I know Pastor um, Scott taught a lot about it uh, last week, and Pastor Larry touched on it last time, last week with the, uh, Elijah and the prophets of Baal. So I'm going to go ahead and do what God told me to do and talk about the golden calf. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this portion includes the great story of the golden calf and Moses' intercession for the nation and the revelation of God's 13 attributes of mercy. Amen. One of the huge problems in this story is understanding how in the world could Israel backslide, as you put it, after seeing all the miracles that God had done for them. And, you know, and we, we see that, but, you know, they were in the midst of it. But sometimes just think, if that was me, we would never do anything like that. <laughs> and how easy is it for us to say that, but sometimes we get caught in things, too. And then we think about it later and go, how in the world could I let that happen? <laughs> But you know what, um, I just, we still think about it, and people talk about it that way. How in the world could they, I would never do that if I had God doing this thing for me and showing me all these things. You know, but God told them, uh, I am your Lord God Almighty, don't worship any other gods before me. And they had just gotten that stuff. (laughs) Or they were waiting, but he had already emphasized that with Moses, even Moses said that. And it's like, what in the world were they thinking? But like I said in prayer, it just takes a little bit of somebody saying something to get everybody stirred up. (laughs) And then the next thing you know, it's all out of hand. Amen. We can see the scenario playing out today around us. We can see it. The church is rapidly uh, sliding in its influence and, and relevance. People are not going back to church. You know, and, the, and, and who's, what's causing that? Laziness and fear. And it's like, how in the world could they fall into that of being just complacent, lazy, and just not wanting to get up and do anything and be fearful of what they think they're going to catch? And, you know, and that's just the enemy putting that little thing out there through the media, through other people. And it's like, you guys... We are the remnant of God. We are God's army. He is depending upon us to do what he has called us to do, which is to come together as a unit, as a body, to tell the good news, to be moral and ethically sound, and to be together because we're a family. You know what? And it's just... uh, and it's, it's hard for me to think about that. And I send out emails telling them, come back to church and what are you doing? You know, we talk, they're talking about casual Christianity. Uh, they're talking about once you're saved, you don't have to worry about it anymore. You don't have to do anything. And you know what? That is a lie from the enemy because 
he doesn't want you to do anything. Amen. And so that way it's easy to manipulate you. But God is telling us we are his army. He depends upon us. We are partners with him. And so we need to do something. Like Scott always says, three, uh, three portions of God's name is go. We need to be going and doing and not sitting on our rusty dusty. Amen. Amen. <laughs> I know he knows all the songs. I don't know any, so I won't be saying any of the songs. <laughs> I never remember those. He knows a song and a title for every situation. And like, I just know if I like it or if I don't like it, and I don't even know who sings it. <laughs> Christians no longer, they don't even have to repent. And then you have popular church leaders coming out against the Ten Commandments. It's like, who would do that? Who in their right mind would come against the Ten Commandments? When we took it out of the schools, look what happened. Yeah, <laughs> Kids have no idea of what to do, what to follow. They, some of them are not getting it at home. So we needed to have that. I remember going to school we said the Ten Commandments. We, we did the Pledge of Allegiance to this country. And now people don't even like the country. It's like, what is your problem? Because they're so used to being here, they forget what it took to have this country unified. Amen. And I, I was thinking, I was watching this, um, something on uh, KERA about the um, flag, the whatever, the, the southern flag. And, uh, you know, people want to get rid of it because of what it's their racism and all that. But really, it was just a, sig a signature of the brave people that stood for what they believed in and died for it. And it's like, yeah, people put all kinds of things on our flag, too. <laughs> but, you know, it's not good. We took over these places and, and everything. But you know what? Brave men and women, brave men back then, died to keep this country one nation under God. And we need to remember, no matter what area in this nation that people are from, they died believing in what they were committed to. Amen? Amen. And us, we need to do that. Be committed. Be committed to what we believe in. Amen? And uh, it's so hard um, that people totally miss the irony. What they're teaching is exactly the same thing as social and and uh, secular humanists. As, and where in the world could people even think of socialism right now? Amen. After we've gone to other countries to stop it. Yeah. <laughs> and now people, our young people, are believing the lie. And it's like, how do we get our young people to uh, be committed to the United States, be committed to God's word, be committed to moral and ethical values? Uh, this leads to another huge problem or question. How could the majority of Israel remain silent while the sin of the golden calf took place? After seeing it, there were, there were a lot of people. I was just talking to Pastor Nancy. She said the ratio of the people that were causing the problem was 1 in 200. <laughs> Only 1 in 200 were stirring up things. And it ended up, I was reading in the Humash, that it was the people that Moses let come with them that were not Jewish, that were stirring it up. But how could the people remain silent after they saw that, after they saw what God did through Moses while the sin of the calf was being made or took place? How could they be silent? And that is a spirit of fear. Amen. 
You know, how can you be scared of a handful of people when there's hundreds, you know, of you? I don't even know how many it was, thousands. Uh, did they stand by as an innocent bystander? Would, did they think if they stood by, it would resolve them of any responsibility? And maybe they did. But, or did they think that they weren't actually participating? If they didn't participate in it, would it affect them totally? But the thing is, it didn't matter. God looks at everything that's going on, and we're all responsible. <laughs> and, we, and they found that out. They were all responsible. The fact that they were witnessing should have been so crazy and absurd and so ungodly to them that they would have stood up and, and stopped it, but they didn't. Um, what they should have done was it submit, and we say that all the time, submit to God and resist the devil. Isn't that what we say? It's so Christian. <laughs> so, you know, submit to God. Submit to God and resist the devil. But it's not that easy to do all the time. Um, what they didn't realize it was completely over, the, over their heads is that God would hold the entire nation responsible, not just the, ma the majority, the minority uh, who started it all. And that happens to us. And one thing I was reading about this Torah portion, it's called Ki Tessa, and what that means in Hebrew is when you lift the head of the Jewish people. And so they wanted, God wants us to be a unit. He wants us to hold each other up, to pull each other up, which is what we should be doing anyway as humans, as a family. When somebody's down, pull them up so they keep growing and growing and growing. And people get uh, angry at the Jewish people, say they own everything because they believe this, Amen. that <laughs> if their brother is, is stumbling or is having a hard time, they support him and pull him up to a different standard, and in return, he does the same thing because it helps. And to me, it's like, why don't we see that as a, as a race of people, as Christians, instead of uh, you know, hurting each other? And, and it's so easy to hurt each other because, it's, because we don't have that value. Even though it's out there, the Bible tells us about it, but we don't necessarily have it, and so we don't reach down and grab the other person and say, look, I am here to help you. I will partner with you and pull them up to a certain standard. Amen. Amen. I tell you, I uh, also, during that time, it also means uh, that they um, must be counted and account for, account in a way that matters to God and matters to them. So we need to be accountable to what matters to God and matters to us as a people. Amen. Amen. Aaron, being the assigned high priest and partner with Moses, knew what was happening, and to save the people from a uh, fate worse than, um, than what they were heading for, the molten calf, he stood in there and decided he would take the blame and help and make the, and just tell them, actually, that he would make the altar. He, because he knew if it would get worse if he did it, but he didn't realize how bad it could get with everybody still saying stir it up, amen? The people knew uh, God gave Moses power, that he used Moses, so they thought or assumed 
uh, he would do the same thing for another person or to another person or an object like the calf or an ox, like a surrogate, because God was using Moses. He was giving him power to do things, so they thought something else uh, would do the same thing because they thought um, that Moses wasn't coming back. And because he said, I'll be gone 40 days, he told them that, but who knows how they thought of that. Did they think it was the day before the 40 days, that night, or how did they count, or was it the day after? Aaron knew that Moses would return, but the people didn't, and so they got afraid. And so they thought of doing other things, and actually the enemy stepped in and stirred everything up. According to the Humash, uh, this was heresy, but not idol worship. And I read that, and I'm like, how in the world could the Humash say that it wasn't idol worship, but it was heresy? Because they were confused. In the commentary, it's in um, uh, verses 7 through 10. It's a fine, it said it's a fine line, and most tr translations just describe it as idol worship. But really, it was heresy because they just wanted to replace Moses. They didn't want to get rid of God. They just wanted to replace Moses to have something or to have hope in and trust in to carry them the rest of the way. And I'm like, boy, that's a real fine line, <laughs> just between heresy and idolatry. But it just blew up into idolatry because um, what Aaron told them, according to that, is uh, here is your God. <laughs> here is your God. But he was actually being mad at them when he said, here is your God, because he was mad. They weren't believing that Moses would come back. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai after God told him, your people, <laughs> go down there, your people are sinning. Uh, when he came down from Sinai, he uh, saw the people engaged in idolatry and used a and issued a challenge to everybody. Uh, Exodus 32:25 says, Aaron had let the people get out of control after he saw them kill Kerr, which was Aaron's partner. We all don't always remember that. Uh, and they became an object of ridicule to their enemies who started it all. Uh, and when Moses saw this revelry, he stood at the entrance to the camp and said, if you're on the Lord's side, come over here to me. And then all the Levites gathered around them. So how many Levites were there? I bet there were Levites, but then there were also people who actually didn't agree with it, who came over to the side. And what happened, we see it in the movies or whatever, the earth split and, and it swallowed them all up. That'll make you change your mind. <laughs> So we don't want to see that, Lord, but we just want we just want you to guide us where we want to go, amen, and help other people. Huh? Oh, yeah, anger. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and that's why he didn't go into the promised land, because he was mad at the people. <laughs> it was only Moses' intercession when he went back up to get the more tablets. Uh, it, it was his intercession, him pleading with God, to forgive the nation, to forgive the people. And, um, and because of that, God softened, and he didn't uh, demolish the whole nation. He gave them forgiveness. He gave them mercy. Amen. Praise God. His mercy was greater than his judgment because God still does judge. Okay. He still does judge. But he has mercy on us all for the things that we do. And some things we do, we don't know that we're doing it. Sometimes we don't know what we're doing, you know, and sometimes we are just influenced to do things, and, you know, God forgives us all. 
And, uh, and this Torah portion is, yes, about Elijah, but it's also about the golden calf, and that's why I wanted to uh, hone in more on the golden calf issue because it's so easy for us to get sidetracked. As human beings, it's easy for us to get sidetracked. God answered Moses' plea by uh, revealing to him the 13 uh, attributes of mercy, which is what I'm going to talk about in the end. Forgiveness was granted, and the second set of tablets were presented in the first day of atonement, which was Yom Kippur. By the time Moses came back down the second time from the mountain, it was he, and he um, offered those back to the people, they designated that um, Yom Kippur, the first day of atonement in the Bible. The very first sin offering that Aaron uh, ever offered at the dedication of the tabernacles in Leviticus uh, 9-2 was actually a calf offering uh, to atone for the sin of the golden calf. Uh, and in all of Torah, there isn't another instance of a calf being bought as, a, as an offering. And I thought, wow, I never thought about that. It's just the barley and the wheat and all that, but never another calf. Uh, they did birds, they did lambs, but not a calf. And I'm like, boy, while I was studying further about the golden calf in the, in the website of Chabad, it explained that the golden calf wasn't made to replace God, but it was made to replace Moses. Shocking and interesting because it was Moses uh, carrying out things God told him to do. And I think about that, and I'm like, God, make me like Moses. <laughs> Empower me to do the things you want me to do. And we all can say that. You know, on the merits of Moses, God, empower us. We're the remnant. We are his army. He, he's waiting for us to ask him to do great things. Isn't it, isn't it awesome that God can just use anybody? <laughs> he can use anybody. And it's like, God, if you can use anybody, you can use me. And, and we need to remind ourselves of that and thinking that we are not worthy or, or we can't do it. When we, things come up into our, in the forefront of our minds or something, don't give in to you can't do it. Amen. Ask God for help. Ask God to empower you. The Bible tells us he gives us power. Amen. <laughs> the Bible tells us that. We need to remember that. Amen? I tell you, when Moses went up to Mount Sinai and didn't return, uh, when he said, how quickly the people got afraid. You know, and it, sometimes it's like, okay, pastor's not here. How quickly people change their mind to come to church or how quickly people decide, did he tell what he told me? Was it true? Is he gone too much? Is he gone too much? <laughs> and pe- you think about it, people do think that. Is he gone too much? What about us? Well, just because he's gone doesn't mean the word is gone. (laughs) And I remember sometimes he even tells us when people are preaching or whatever, check the word. Check the word to make sure what's being taught is the truth, is God's word. Because as we can see, there's people all over that are interjecting things that are not in the word. They're not in the word. And, and some of them, I don't even think they know what they're talking about. I went to a church when I went back to New York um, to visit my uh, cousin, and I went to her church. And I, I was, I'm like, okay, I'm ready to hear whether he's going to preach and everything. And he just recited one of the scriptures like ten different ways and ten and ten different times. And I'm like, okay. 
so what is he teaching them? He never taught anything. He just kept saying the scripture, and people were getting happy and amen, and I'm like, what the heck? You know, and so, <laughs> and I thought, OMG, God, you are so good where I am because these people believing what that pastor is saying, and I'm like, he's not even saying anything. He's not even teaching them anything. He's Yes, he's quoting the scripture, but what about digging deep in the word? And that's what God wants us to do, not only accept what somebody's doing, but dig deep in the word for ourselves so we know uh, what's being said is true and it is in the word, but not only that, it's empowering us. It's strengthening us to know what we stand for. And if you don't know what you stand for, it's so easy to get sidetracked by what somebody else says. But when you know the word and you know it's the truth, it's not as easy to get offline, right? Amen, amen. So Aaron, uh, he was thinking he needed to do something, hold up, uh, hold the people up and put their trust in. So eventually he just gave in to the people. But he only gave in after he saw them kill Kerr, uh, who stood against what they were doing. <laughs> so then he decided, okay, so we don't have too many murders here. I'm going to step in and take, you know, all the blame on me. He sacrificed himself so the people wouldn't be deeper into trouble. <laughs> and it's like, why did they make a calf? I was asked, okay, why did they make a calf? And uh, Nachmanides, the great 17th century commentator, cites the book of Ezekiel. Uh, where it says, where is the vivid representation of the throne of glory, uh, which God metaphorically reigns upon? Uh, the verse describes the four legs um, to the throne. Uh, it says, as for the likeness of their faces, a human face, the face of a lion on the right side, the face of an ox on the left side, and the face of an eagle for the four of them. But it also talks about the legs being like hoofs. So a calf, an ox, has the feet like a hoof, so, which is why they made the, uh, the golden calf, because they were remembering that from Ezekiel. On the H website, it uh, said Aaron had just seen Kerr getting killed, which I just said, and so he decided, okay. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he got scared, so he decided... But he also got scared, but he also thought, I know Moses is coming back, so I'm going to take all this on me and kind of try to guide them so it doesn't get too out of hand, but it didn't work. <laughs> it didn't work because the people kind of rebelled totally and, and did do idolatry and just went crazy. Uh, according to Miamides, idolatry isn't a single step but a process. Look at us today. It's not common for people to believe that money, fame, good looks, stocks, options, or Bitcoin could make them a source of fulfillment and happiness, but it can't. But people believe that. I mean, look at a ton of people in California. That's all they live for. Uh, my son lives there, and he's talking about their people here are so fake, Mom, I can't even find a girlfriend because, because you don't even know what you're getting. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> I know, like pastors always talk about, we're bringing Katie's bare shed in. I know, but God, I'm bringing my son's bare shed in because they're the same age. I mean, think about 34, and I'm like, okay, you don't even have a girlfriend? 
<laughs> but you know, they believe that's fulfilling them and they don't even know what they really look like. And he's like, I'm, I want somebody who believes the way I believe. Thank yeah. God. Thank God he streams our church because he's been to a couple of churches there. And he's like, one church, he said, Mom, I thought I was in a nightclub. Oh. <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, what? He said, it was so dark and I didn't see anybody with a Bible. <laughs> he said, it was dark. People were, you know, dancing like they were at a club. And he said, I was like, uh-uh. <laughs> so he was really surprised at that. And then he went to another church and he said, first time visitor. And he thought God led him to say something. So the lady, the uh, pastor was asking if anybody had a word from God, they believed. So he got up. I was like shocked that he even got up there, but he went up there and thought, gave what he thought God gave him. And then after he said that, she asked him if he wanted to be the youth pastor. And he was like, you don't even know me. <laughs> I'm visiting. So he was like, no way. He said, no way. He said, nobody's trying anybody. They're just putting them in positions. But a lot of pastors that are out there, they are just doing it as a job. They are not anointed. They are not called. And that, that's where the problem lies. And that's why they kind of get off step in what they're teaching because they really don't know and they're not asking God to anoint them and to give them what they need to give to the people. Amen. I tell you, this teaches us a very important lesson. Judeo-Christianity or Christians have a biblical obligation to be a part of the solution. Amen. We are to be a part of the solution. Even the things that we see going on today, we're to be a part of that solution. God holds us all responsible for whether we are, for whether we are one nation under God or not. Amen. We are still one nation under God. We need to let people know that. And that's why sometimes I make these T-shirts letting people know one God. There's one God. <laughs> you know, and let people know I am a black woman full of the Holy Ghost and power. And, you know, and my kids are like, Mom, why are you wearing this? Because people need to know. It doesn't matter what color you are. We are filled with the Holy Ghost and power. And if people need prayer, because sometimes I ask, I'll see somebody say, do you need prayer? Because God would just lead me, lead me to people. And... Um, and some, most of them will say yes. Some of them will say no because they don't know who I am. And the Bible tells you, be careful who lays hands on you or who prays. And we need to remember that because everybody can't lay hands on you and pray for you. <laughs> so we have to be aware of that and know that because everybody doesn't have that anointing. So and I go, you know, I don't care. And they tease me sometimes because I tell people, you know, have a blessed day. You know, because sometimes we don't need to go tell them, you know, you're going to turn or burn. <laughs> Get to know Jesus or you're going to burn in hell. You know, I remember seeing people like that back in the day. You know, but kids nowadays, you know, they don't accept that. But if you need prayer, a lot of times they say yes because they're going through a lot of turmoil and distress and people don't know what's happening next. So a lot of people give in to, yes, please pray for me, you know, because they don't know who to go to anymore for prayer, but they can come to us, amen, because we are empowered, we are full of the Holy Ghost and power, and God will give us what we need to say to those people, and when we say it, it doesn't come back void, once we put it out there, it stays, and they know that when something comes up, man, I remember that lady prayed for me, or that guy prayed for me, and so it gives them strength inside, but it will never take their mind off of God. 
Amen. Uh, I was looking at the, uh, that's uh, word T kiss, key Tessa, and I'm like, yeah, we need to be counted. We need to account for something. We need to know that we account for something. And with this um, Torah portion, it's like, you know what? Elijah counted for something. God used him. Moses counted for something. He mattered. The people of Israel count for something. They kept the commandments. They kept, you know, God's uh, laws. And they still do today. And us, as part of that, being grafted in, we are being counted. We can be counted upon by God to keep his moral and his rules and his standards. Amen. Amen. We are to pray for our nation and our leaders, even if we don't like them. <laughs> Voting for godly politicians who, re who respect biblical principles. And right now, and it's that time now. They're sending things all out about people who's uh, going in for office, and that we need to look into their background. We need to research who they are, what they believe in. And my kids, one time I had a whole list, and they were like, what the heck is that, Mom? I said, I'm trying to find out who I'm going to vote for. <laughs> because I need to know, because they might look good on the outside, but they, when you dig a little deeper, you find out they're not. And they really are just saying that to get people's votes, but they're really in the end, they're not going to do anything for you. And then they really don't believe in biblical principles. Amen. Amen. Teaching our children biblical uh, morals to instill in a sense of right from wrong and voting our, and voicing our opinions in the public ways to register our protests against paganism, socialism, and anti-Christianism. And you see that all the time. People are coming against us Christians, and we need to stand up because we're right. <laughs> we're right. We're the ones that are going to keep the standard, God's standard. And in that, God will protect us. Isn't that what the Bible says? When we stand for God's word, he will protect us. And we need to, you know, grab a hold of that and believe it. Proverbs 17, 15 says, whoever approves of wicked people and whoever condemns righteous people is disgusting to the Lord. Amen. Disgusting to the Lord. And sometimes we forget Proverbs is the best book. Because, I mean, it, it doesn't pull any punches. It tells you <laughs> what to do, what not to do. So I always love Proverbs <laughs> to go in there and go, okay, what do I What's going on, God? What do we need to do? And when we were doing children's ministry, I use that a lot because it's teaching them what the kids should be doing and what they need to stay away from. Amen. God showed Moses who, was, who he was by forgiving the people. He showed him who he was. He didn't just tell him. He showed him who he was by forgiving the people of their sin, and he taught him how to rule and guide the people, and then he gave Moses his 13 attributes. So he could keep it and tell the people what they were and, and go from there. The 13 attributes of God are found in Exodus 34, 6, and 7. The first one, compassion. Before a person sins, even though he is aware that future evil has domin lies dominant within, he has compassion on us even though he knows we're going to go and sin again. Because we're, no, there's none righteous, not one so <laughs> we all need to be repenting and say, God, thank you for your compassion. I am so sorry. The second one, the Lord is merciful after a person has gone astray. 
He showed the Israelite people mercy after they went astray. Thank God he did. Otherwise, we wouldn't be grafted into anybody. (laughs) And just think of what the world would be like. Uh, The third one, God is all-powerful as a ruler over nature and humankind, indicating his mercy sometimes surpasses even the degree indicated by his name. It goes past his name. It is boundless. It is limitless. And it's like, God, sometimes we can't even imagine who God really is. We just have to believe what the Bible tells us. But he is so much more than we hear. (laughs) He is so much more than we hear. And when he touches you and touches your life, which he has, the Holy Spirit, then you get a feel for who he is. I mean, because he totally changed who you were. You know, I remember, you know, getting saved, and it's like, God, you totally changed who I was from then, not even knowing about God. And even though I grew up Catholic, so I did, but it was like, I was tired of all the rituals and all that. And and it's like, okay, and I remember telling Pastor Huck when he came back from Israel, it's like, he told me, okay, we're going to, you know, do Jewish roots. I'm like, oh, hold up. (laughs) Hold up. Tell me what, what it is, because I knew, because uh, I grew up around Jewish people in New York, and so I was like, wait a minute, they do all this kind of stuff. What is it that we have to do? I said, because I am sick and tired of rituals. I said, I went to Catholic school. I was going to be a nun. Can you imagine that? <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I, I was going to be a nun. And, uh, and then I was like, I am not up, Pastor, for rituals. <laughs> and he said, no, 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 it's not like that at all. And I'm like, okay, okay. Like he, he always, and he always says that people thought he was crazy when he came back. <laughs> and we did. <laughs> what is he into now? But, you know, but as it went on and, you know, we listened and then we started studying. I was like, okay, okay, okay. And all the um, religions anyway extend out of Judaism. They wouldn't even exist. If it wasn't for the Jewish people, people just added things in there and took out things just to, to, so they could feel comfortable in what it said. But, I, you know, growing up Catholic, I mean, you couldn't do anything. I could go, you know, on Saturday night and party, you know, or Saturday morning or afternoon and party later that day and then just go to confession to some guy. <laughs> and how many times? I mean, I went a lot. <laughs> You know, ten Hail Marys, four glory bees, and, you know, (laughs) the act of contrition. (laughs) And, you know, and it's like, you know, we don't have to do that. We can go directly to God. And when I found that out, I'm like, okay, I am so in because, God, I'm partnering with you. I don't need anybody to mediate in between. I can just come to your word. I can read it. I can study it. I can live it. I can try to change how you want me to change. And I can be who you have called me to be. And, and, you know, and it's like, God, he is all powerful. He can do anything. There is nothing that he cannot do. Amen. Amen. God is filled with loving sympathy for human frailty. Thank God. And does not put people into situations of extreme temptation. And then he eases the punishment of the guilty. He doesn't put you in extreme situations, even though sometimes we put ourselves in those situations. (laughs) But he will ease the punishment of the guilty. Hallelujah. 
Uh, five, gracious. God shows mercy even for, to those who do not deserve it. Amen. Consoling the afflicted and raising up the oppressed. You know, and, and you know what? And, and we should be gracious too because sometimes people just don't have any idea what they're doing. They just don't know because they haven't learned. They haven't been taught. And so we need to, you know, say, okay, instead of saying, <laughs> you go your way and I go my way. No, sometimes we just need to be gracious and say, okay, whatever you think, but I'm going to pray for you. Yes. Six, God is slow to anger, gives ample time to reflect, improve, and repent. He gives us ample time yes. to reflect on what we've done, to improve our character. Yes. And to repent of what we've done. Amen. God is plenteous in kindness toward those who lack personal merits. Providing more gifts and blessings than they deserve. God tips the scales of justice towards the good. Thank God he tips the scales on our behalf. (laughs) God is plenteous in truth. He never reneges on his word to reward those who serve him. He never goes back on his word. What he says in his word, we can trust in, rely on, and depend on that he's going to do what he says he's going to do. You know what? And who else can we look at and say, we'll do that? Nobody. Nobody. But we can believe God will do it. Amen. Number nine, God maintains and preserves kindness For thousands of generations, he remembers the deeds of the righteous for the benefit of their less, of their less virtuous generations of offspring. He remembers what we've done, what we're doing for the next generations of our offspring, for generations like he did the Jewish people there in the desert. He could have just left them at Mount Sinai. But he remembered some of the people and the merits that they've done, and he forgave them and kept track of all the good they did and passed it down to their offspring. How good is that? (laughs) How good is that? God is amazing that he would even do that for the less virtuous people in our families. I know I have a few. Thank God, thank God (laughs) that we can pray for them and that he'll remember what I've done to lessen their punishment, right? Hallelujah. God forgives intentional sin resulting from an evil disposition as long as the sinner repents. And I'm like, okay, God, even if we do it intentionally, he still gives us the benefit of the doubt. <laughs> oh, I like that because sometimes people, I mean, we see it all around us. People intentionally do things. Look at the people out there stealing, uh, breaking things, and, you know, the drug dealers and the politicians giving them needles and things. I'm like, what mindset giving the druggies drugs? It's like, how is that going to change their lives? How is that going to improve your city? How is it going to improve them? And it's. <laughs> It's like intentional sinning. (laughs) Uh, uh, Number 11, God allows even those who commit a sin with the malicious intent of rebelling against and angering him the opportunity to repent. 
Everybody gets an opportunity to repent. That's why when somebody's sick and dying, we can go and say, do you know the Lord? Have you repented? This is your time to repent. You know, and we see it in movies and, and things like that. I was just watching a Western. Somebody got shot, and, he, and this priest immediately went down there saying a prayer over him, asking him to repent. <laughs> and it's like, even back in the day, even as rebellious as they were. <laughs> uh, number 12, God forgives a sin committed out of carelessness, thoughtlessness, or apathy. They stood by and watched them do the golden calf and said nothing. They just sat there and let everything happen because they were scared, you know. But, you know, he forgives that sin. <laughs> it's like, thank you, Lord. Number 13, God is merciful, gracious, and forgiving, wiping away the sins of those who truly repent. However, if one does not repent, God does not cleanse. And when I saw that, I'm like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> He gives us all a chance to repent, but if we do not repent, he does not cleanse us of our sin. You know, I just thank God that he is a God that has all these attributes and virtues and that he is a merciful God. Sometimes we forget how much mercy he gives us. We forget, but, you know, sometimes we just need to thank him. Like when we wake up in the morning, like Pastor said, say, Mode Ani, thank you, God that I am waking up because even though we're asleep, our spirit is not asleep. And when we forget that, sometimes we think we're sleeping and we're just sleeping, our body's resting. But no, our body's being healed. You know, our minds are being healed. And we're still working. We're still working because the angels come to us. God is still talking to us, our spirits. And our spirits are still working while we're sleeping. And so we need to just thank God. And before we go to bed, say, God, thank you that I understand or remember those things that you're telling me while I'm asleep and and may I remember that when I wake up and thank him when we wake up that we have another day to show mercy we have another day to show uh, the love of God to other people we have another day to run the race that God has anointed us to do he has anointed us and empowered us to run the race that he's given us the from birth and the things that are easy to us to do, that's our calling. Yes. The things that are easy for us to do. I mean, like, it's easy for me to go up to anybody and talk. Amen. <laughs> well, that's my anointing. That's my gifting to go up and, you know, I'm in everybody's space. They always say, stay six feet apart. I'm in everybody's space. <laughs> you know, hi, how you doing? You know, <laughs> and my kids get me all the time. Mom, why are you talking to them? Why are you... <laughs> I don't know. It's just in me to go up and say hi to whatever, pray for people, to, you know, at the grocery store. Hey, do you need a blessing today? I'm going to pay for your groceries. You know what? And they look at me like, what? But I noticed one day I was with my daughter, and this guy was ahead of us, and he didn't have enough money to pay for all of his groceries, and she did the same thing. So hallelujah, it rubs off. Well, thank you guys for coming to Torah study. Uh, we just thank God for his word. We thank God that we are empowered to do great things that we don't even know of. Amen. 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 Amen.